powered by Riverside. On today's episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Mark Ritchie. Mark is an experienced technologist, executive, founder, and venture investor. He is founder and managing director of West Capital Advisors, a corporate innovation and venture investment advisory firm, and West Capital Partners, a venture investment vehicle for family offices. He also served as managing director at Draper Triangle Ventures, an early stage venture fund and partner of 1809 Capital. Mark has operationally been involved in many entrepreneurial ventures. He was founder and CEO of Synchrony Communications, which raised $38 million in funding from leading VCs. In prior years, he served in management roles with a series of venture-backed Silicon Valley companies. After graduate school, he worked in management consulting with Theodore Barry and Associates in Los Angeles. Mark began his career as a software engineer with Syncom Systems in Cincinnati. Mark currently serves as an observer on the boards of Share This and Label Insight and is an advisory council member for the Greenlight Foundation Cincinnati. Mark holds an MBA from the Kellogg Graduate School of Management, Northwestern University, and graduated in 1980 from Miami University with a bachelor's degree in systems analysis. He shares a lot of great advice for aspiring entrepreneurs and venture capital professionals. So without further delay, let's get to the show. Mark, thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast. We're really excited for our conversation today. Thanks, Will. Excited to, to be included. Yeah, and uh, just for the background for the audience, so Mark and I got connected through the Miami University Network uh, LinkedIn page, and it's pretty interesting as you get connected with fellow alumni that, you know, Mark and I were actually uh, fellow Evans Scholars at the Miami University chapter. So kind of where I would love to start, Mark, is just if you could talk about your experience at Miami mm-hmm. and, you know, being an Evans Scholar and how that really helped, I think, set a foundation, you know, for future success. Uh, sure. Miami, um, for me personally, was a kind of a life-changing experience. Um, you know, not that I had a very, you know, difficult you know, upbringing, you know, but, but it was a, you know, my parents didn't go to college. So I was, you know, first generation in college and, and, um, and uh, what enabled me to be there was receiving the Evans scholarship, you know, so that, you know, I would not have gone to Miami otherwise, because it, you know, it was much more expensive than living at home and going to school. Um, So I got to do that. And then, you know, you know, as well, you're aware, Miami, you know, has, you know, there's some really, you know, interesting, you know, people you get to go to school with, you know, and the peer group is kind of expands your horizons and expands your awareness of what else is possible. Um, and um, I, I like to think I took full advantage of that. And um, both um, the people that, you know, the people that I met in the Evan Scholar House, you know, who, who were, you know, also, you know, very appreciative of the opportunity and, became lifelong friends. And, um, to this day, I still have, have, you know, um, relationships with, and even, even professional collaborations with, and then the network that I built at Miami, you know, just accelerated, you know, kind of my, my thoughts of what was possible and, and actually started me down a path that I couldn't have predicted, but, uh, has been, has been a really 
fulfilling one, um, you, you know, to this yeah. day. And how have you stayed so engaged with, you know, Miami University? Was there a specific network that you maintain relationship to, or how did you stay connected? You know, it, it's it's kind of come and gone, right? I, you know, at times I'd be closer, and at times I wouldn't. You know, when I when I graduated, you know, so I was a I was a well today would be a computer science major. I was. Yeah. In my day, they called it systems analysis, uh, but fundamentally, we were still, you know, we took coding classes. And when I graduated, I started out as a computer programmer, a coder in, in today's terms. And, um, you know, so I started in Cincinnati, um, which is, you know, near the university and and, um, and was in a small, what at the time was a large software company. It'd be very small by today's standards and, and found my way to the business side of technology, which then took me to Dallas um, for a year, a couple of years, and then kept, you know, kind of expanding, you know, what, what I was learning about the world and just the relationships I built, I ended up going to a graduate school in Chicago, you know, at Northwestern university, got a, got a business uh, master's degree, an MBA. And, um, and from there, you know, that I developed, you know, it's kind of looking at opportunities and I went to the West coast and, um, so during those times, I was probably not that well connected with Miami because I'm, you know, moving and I'm going to different parts of the country and, and 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 just you know, we like we all do, right? We're kind of pursuing a career that we're not quite sure where it's going. And um, you know, so when I left graduate school, go to went to Los Angeles for three years and and um, but was in more general business. I was doing general management consulting, so that was good grounding in terms of getting more breadth of knowledge of business fundamentals and and learning you know how you know kind of the business practices of of, of large established companies because we were doing consulting for public companies um but i always wanted to get, but i really wanted to get back into technology and and through people i met in la they had gone up to the bay area and i ended up moving to san francisco um in the early 90s and and ended up you know couldn't have known right but ended up being in this you know, if people go back in history, this rapid, you know, expansion of Silicon Valley that, you know, kind of the the first bubble bursting was what, what we come in, you know, the dot-com bubble, you know, bursted in 2001, 2002. So I, I lived that, you know, and, and um, was in a company, a small venture-backed company that got acquired by, um, you know, by a public company, a public software company called Sybase. And then I went to the founders of of that company, then started another company called Siebel Systems, which ended up going public. So I was in the first sales group. So I, you know, that was venture backed and went all the way through it going public in like 97. And then went to another software company that also went public. And I, so I'm in the manage, I'm in the, in the teams, I'm not a founder, but I'm living that world and I'm building those relationships and building that network and learning what by most, you know, for, for most of the world, this, this, kind of mysterious little Silicon Valley bubble wasn't that well understood, but I'm had the great benefit of being in the middle of it. And, um, and through circumstances, you know, my, my oldest son was born in at Stanford hospital and, and we had, you know, we had family back in Ohio. I grew up, you know, I grew up in Dayton and, um, and we had the opportunity to come back to Cincinnati. And so we did. And, um, but I was, I was continuing to work for West coast companies. I was still in technology. And then, I ended up starting my own software company, you know, called Synchrony Communications in, in partnership with one of those companies on the West Coast. And we went through the whole process. We raised, you know, um, three rounds of capital, ended up being, you know, $40 million, had 
East Coast venture capital firms, had corporations, had individuals invested, and um, you know ended up you know we, we you know ended up having 130 employees, and we sold in 2002. Um, and and somehow I figured out that that you know, but I'd lived this venture world, and that at that moment I transitioned from being on the operating side of technology to being on the investing side. So I joined a venture capital fund after I had sold my company um, in Pittsburgh called Draper Triangle Ventures. But Pitt, but but it was an affiliate of a large fund in Palo Alto, California, the Bay Area, um, called Draper Fisher Jurvetson. So again, you know, I got to have this this opportunity to almost have a postgraduate education of learning how to be an investor as opposed to an operator, but still in tech. And um, couldn't have predicted, but it was terrific, right? Because I, I think, you know, if I can pause for a second, one of the life lessons that I, I came to really appreciate through all of that is whenever you, you're faced with a decision and, and trying to figure out which, which path to take, one of the fundamentals, and I've told my, my, my kids this, is that just, you know, make sure that you're, you know, one, you're going to work with people of integrity. That's important, you know, because um, I've been in situations where that wasn't the case and that never, never goes well. But also, you know, try and put you put yourself in, you know, in, in groups where you're kind of working with the most talented, the smartest people you can possibly go work with. Um, you know, in some cases, you may be intimidated by that, but in other cases, you should embrace it because it's an opportunity to really to learn and to grow and to, you know, kind of get whole new perspectives on what's possible. And so I was fortunate I was able to do that. Right. And, you know, to this day, I don't think I rarely. I've rarely been the smartest person in the room, right? So I've always gone to gone to work with, with really. I've been fortunate to be able to work with really smart people, and have, have really benefited from that and really enjoyed that. So, so then you know, it's been a twenty year journey as a venture capital investor um, since that time until today. I mean, that's that's a great summarization on you know where your career path has zigs and zagged all the way yeah. around, and you know for the audience, um, just in terms of venture capital, so. Venture capital really connects startup founders with funding that generally a venture capital firm will deploy, right. which is funded, you know, from a combination of their partners and other investors, which are called limited partners. But, you know, to the audience, like it's you're providing Mark and his team provide way more than just capital. They're providing guidance, connections within the industry assisting with hiring key roles and supporting the company's growth. So just background for the audience there. And um, Mark, I was curious, you know, with West Capital Advisors that you're the founder and managing director of, you know, how did you determine, you know, what your what niche the VC firm was going to work in and, you know, ultimately stand out in terms of competition? You know, again, I think that's always looking, I mean, even when you, if you go back to the software company I founded, I was you know, getting a lot of experiences in different technologies and and I'm not sure, you know, it's, you know, today it seems much more formal that, you know, people go, you know, go to school and, and, and enter entrepreneurship programs. It's kind of more formalized. Of course, there was nothing, you know, when I was in, at Miami, there was no, no such thing as an entrepreneurship program. It just didn't exist. That's that's a convention that's come, you know, to be implemented in universities over the last, really it's become more you know, very, you know, very um, established in the last 10 years. Um I've I've always gravitated towards the unstructured versus the structured, and and I think I've always because of the kind of the freedom of, of going into an unstructured environment and being able to kind of do you know kind of kind of actually do, do something new, 
Um, and you know, what I noticed with my company is I saw, I saw a problem that wasn't being addressed, you know, in, 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 in call centers. And that's that we were solving a problem in, in call centers. When I was working at Draper Triangle, you know, and I was, and we were a part of a network of about 10 other funds, I was noticing that a lot of corporations, large companies, you know, global 500 corporations were starting to try and engage with venture capital funds to find innovation that was relevant to, to a given company's strategy and objectives. And they were starting to recognize that by looking at the venture world, which was moving much faster and had skill sets that they didn't have internally, that they might be able to accelerate their strategy and accelerate their competitiveness in the market. So I was watching these companies come out to the Bay Area and say, hey, can you show me you know, companies that have capabilities that we're interested in? But I also noticed that when we did, they really were very poor and they really had no ability to effectively engage with those companies because the, the cultures and the, you know, the, you know, the, the, the styles were so different that, that one, you know, was, you know, culture, they were, you know, you think about an established company that's risk averse and you got a startup company that's all about taking risk. Those two styles don't mesh very well. Right. So to, here I saw an opportunity. So I started West Capital Advisors to be an advisory firm for corporate venture programs. So we augmented their teams that were out looking for innovation to more effectively engage them in the, in the venture world. So we, we really provide, you know, because we had a network, we understood how that world, world worked, and we, you know, we, we would pr provide them with a much better way to source and engage in, in, in technologies that were aligned with their strategies. But we also did translation. I felt we were like a translator because we would then take that information and translate it into language and, and into a business plan that a corporate executive could understand and make a decision. Because part of the problem is they, you know, it was really difficult for them to make a decision on something they didn't understand. So we would translate something they did understand so they could then make a decision. And I said, you know, probably the best example is that we, we ran a venture program for Fifth Third Bank which is a super regional bank, you know, and you know, today I think it's in the top 15 banks in the United States, maybe, maybe even larger. And, um, but again, here's a, here's an old established bank trying to use new technology. And you can imagine that that doesn't always work well, but we enabled them to make investments in, in, in 12 companies and, and engage in those companies. Um, so we were successful with that. The other thing I did with West Capital is I started West Capital Partners which enabled so clients like yours will you know who you think about their you know where how do they want to allocate their capital across a variety of of risk profiles and asset classes um you know we provided a vehicle that would give them access to high quality opportunities in the venture capital asset class now, now i'm speaking financial terms right but you know that by definition that's a high risk asset class and if you're if you're trying to put you know kind of allocate money from your portfolio, you want a little bit there, some percentage there, because it can potentially increase your overall returns, right? So, so we simply provided what you know high net worths and family offices access to quality venture transactions by because we were we could co-invest with our corporate clients, and our corporate clients would give us access into better deals than we could just get by ourselves. So, it all worked out. And so here you know so I'm. Frankly, to be, not to be, you know, not to be a little bit arrogant here, but we were innovating on what on the venture model 
you know, from the beginning, you know, because most in the venture capital community are either a fund or they're an individual trying to trying to you know do individual investments in really early stage or they're a corporation. But to bring the two together was, you know, was the challenge. And but where I but we saw the opportunity. So that's what West Capital is all about. So really interesting experience because I'm working with you know different kind of you know categories within venture. I think in the you know I'm I'm living in a bubble, right? Because it's still a small world relative to the rest of the economy, but but I'm engaging across all the players in it. And um, utilizing, you know, my operating experience and my investing experience, you know, to really, you know, to bring all those parties together. So that that's what West Capital st- was started to do and turned out to be pretty successful. Um, you know, we, you know, t- today, you know, it's, it, you know, my partner in doing that is retired and, and we're somewhat winding it down. Um, but that's, that's a positive, right? Because one, I'm getting older. So that's part of the, part of the challenge. And, and two, you know, it's um, it, it's enabling me to move on to some other things, which I think we're going to talk about. So, and so you, you mentioned your partner. How did you divide, you know, responsibilities um, early on and just maintain efficiency while working? I think you know, people who are in the startup founders now, you know, they would find value in, in hearing how you divide and conquer. So I think that's you know that's part of the the art. You know, if you're going to be in the world of of, of kind of trying to you know to you know to you know, to launch a company or to build a company, you know, or even run an existing business, right? It, the challenge is, I mean, I know it's management one-on-one, but how do you, how do you, you know, put the best team possible in place to execute on the opportunity that you're pursuing with, with your company, right? Whether it be large or small, it could be a business unit within a large company, you know, so you're always challenged with how do I get the best talent, right? And, you know, I always, you know, I kind of, you know, I should I should add that during you know when I started West Capital I started reengaging with Miami again you know because I was we were in Cincinnati and I was you know, um, you know got got connected back to the entrepreneurship program and to you know and and was using in, interns so I would I would employ interns from Miami to to you know provide some you know just capacity to get work done but and, and do analyst work and but also it was a lot of fun to engage with the school and. You know, when you're cycling in young people, you know, you get your ideas get refreshed and your skill sets get refreshed. So that was a really positive for us as well. Um, but I think, you know, back to your question is that you need to find people that, you know, um, complement. So I think the worst thing you can is, is to try and control everything, um, because if, if you do, you're not going to grow. If, if you want to grow, you have to let go of control. Um, and. You know, so in my case, you know, we had a partner, uh, my partner, um, Madeline, um, was much more of a Wall Street person. She came out of a more traditional Wall Street background. She had gone to work for, um, you know, for Morgan Stanley and had been in their investment banking group and and had, you know, provided, you know, um, you know basically, you know, merger and acquisition and, and um, fundraising services to large corporations. Um, very, you know, that's different than what I was doing, right? Where I'm trying to f- provide funding to small companies, right? And so, when we you think about bringing, you know, what the strategy you know, for West Capital was to serve large corporations but engage them in the venture world, well, by partnering with Madeline, she was somebody that could resonate with the executives of large corporations because that's the world she came out of. In fact, her last job before joining West Capital was she was CFO 
of the electric and gas utility that was in Cincinnati called Synergy, which eventually got acquired by Duke Duke Energy. So that was a very big, you know, that, that was a large company role, and she had a big a big responsibility with that company. So now here we are at West Capital, where we're trying to go engage with you know global 500 companies. You know, in many cases, when we go meet with those executives, I don't look like somebody they're used to working with, right? Because I'm coming out of this, you know, Silicon Valley venture capital, you know, tech startup world, which to, to corporate executives, those are really crazy, you know, unreliable people, right? So by, by partnering with Madeline, you know, that was that provided comfort to the corporations that there was, you know, a person in our in our group that, you know, also understood how, you know, what their culture was like and how their decision processes, you know, had to be executed. And so it, I think they, they what, what resonated with them is that they, they, had, they saw this combination of, of traditional and, and innovation in one place that they could take advantage of. So. We consciously did that in, 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 in our analyst team. You know, we would, of course, bring in whether it be, you know, engineering skill sets or, or, or digital design skill sets, of course, you know, finance skill sets. You just, you just got to make sure you just, you know, when you're building a team, it's really important. You know, you know what determines your success is your ability to let go of control and, and put the best team in place that you know that that bring you know that in total has the skill sets you need to to execute on a strategy the companies i see this you know in a startup world you see everything in a microcosm right because it's all in one small place i mean almost 100 percent. the companies that fail are the ones that are started by founders who can't let go of control the ones that succeed and and, and grow quickly are the ones that have you know they're brilliant right they have a, a great idea to solve a big problem in a big market and then they're really open to bringing in other people that that complement them and can even you know can even train them you know with their experiences on how best to 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 you know execute on the opportunity 100% of the time you know i say you, you got to let go to grow I, that's all i can say and if you can't you're not going to be successful so madeline was a perfect compliment to me you know she in fact is almost humorous whenever we would look at at doing a deal you know, I would see a company and I would evaluate it. And of course, I've been around, I've been through many cycles of this and I would immediately believe this is going to, this is a good team with a good opportunity. We should do this. And Madeline would have, would know, would only, could only focus on why it would fail because that was her background, right? That's, you know, in corporate, you're risk averse, you're trying to figure out how to avoid risk. And I'm looking at, well, of course there's risk, but they have a great opportunity. So it was a really interesting, and actually it was very positive, right? Because she would. She was like a check and balance on me, right? Because I would get too excited and not understand what the risks were, and, and and vice versa. She couldn't see the opportunity. So, we, we partnered together very well. It was it was it was a, it was a lot of fun. It worked um, great. I had an opportunity to, to be on a board. You know, when you're an investor, you serve on the board of directors of the companies you're investing in, and then you go out and try and get other board members that have subject matter expertise on the given company. So we had a moment where we got there was just an opportunity where we got to have a very successful executive, like a president level at P and G, serve on the board of this company, because um, he had just he was transitioning out of P and G and wanted to get experience in, in the private world, and um, we were having a, a, a bit of a difficult time with the CEO, and and one you know after a board meeting we were having a drink and and he said you know let me tell you a lesson he says you know so when I was president I had ten people reporting to me you know in these each ten had very had had billion dollar plus you know um, uh, profit P and Ls business units. Invariably, in the course of a year, 
There's probably, you know, six that are succeeding against their plan. There's probably three that are, you know, right on plan. And there's going to be, you know, two or three, or, you know, probably two. There's two or three that are, that are behind plan who are, who are really struggling. So you go to them, you say, how can I help? You know, I'm, the, you know, I'm your manager, how can I help? The ones that would say, I got this, don't, you know, don't bother me, I'll figure it out. Versus the ones that would say, here's what I know, here's what I don't know, here's the help I need. You know, it's P&G. You know, it's just a Procter & Gamble. They got every resource possible. They can they can help you in any way. The ones that would ask for help, 100% succeeded and went on to bigger roles in, in, in the company. The ones who wouldn't ask for help failed every time. So I think, you know, that's that, that comes back to you know, having some sense of security, having some, you know, being able to recognize what you know and don't know and being able to seek the assistance that you need. I think that's a, that's a, a great, to me, that'd be a great piece of advice to offer people. Don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, acknowledge, be self-aware, and understand what you know and what you don't know. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean the company's going to look at you any, you know, any differently. I think they'll probably look at you better is that you're now, you know, looking to go leverage the resources that you have access to, you know, you know, for the, you know, for the success of the business unit and for the success of the company as a whole. And do you have any advice specifically for like young professionals who are considering like a career transition? Because I know you touched on how you were the founder of a company and then you, you know, pivoted to the VC right. world, you know, how, how, any advice for people on, you know, thinking of a big career change in something that's kind of unknown, like how you handled that and advice for them? So, you know, it was obviously going from, you know, going from working in a in startup companies that are venture back to then going to the, as I say, the other side of the table, going to work for the, the venture funds themselves. You know, what's interesting about it, so I had knowledge, right? I knew of those. I knew how, I thought I knew how they worked. And, and you know, that's, that's not an unusual transition in my case. You'll see a lot of founders who, you know, who, who have some success and then elect to become investors, right? After they've maybe started one or two companies and exited those companies. What's interesting about that is that you think you know how that side works until you go do it and you have no idea. It's so different, right? So again, the importance of going to work with smart people to, that can help you educate yourself. Um, you know, I don't know if I have an answer to that question because, you know, one pivot I did, you know, of course, was when I was, I was a tech person, small company tech person, then went to business school. You know, I don't think business school is is the answer for everybody. Um, you know, if you're really excited about the industry you're in and the work you're doing, you're going to be you're going to benefit more by continuing to get to grow and get experience. You know, in that world, if that's where you think the path you're going to stay on for your career, what business school does enable is an opportunity to step back and think, okay, you know, where do I go next? Because now you can open a whole bunch of doors. You can go from being an engineer to being a finance person by going to business school. And business school gives you that that moment to you know get some fundamental training in, in a new discipline and then opens doors to go pursue that path right which is basically what happened for me right so i go from being a coder to now i now i move into a business you know role i go to management consulting which that you know and then i go up then i you know then i get into you know sales and you know i, I was always on the business development side when i was in those tech companies so um so i think you know that you know, and I think you got to always be thinking about you know here's what I know here's what I've learned here's what I like here's what I don't like how do I you know how do I go optimize what I'm good at and what I like 
um, and then and then seek those paths that that can take that you can leverage that. Um, you know, it, it, you know, I, when I look back over forty years, it looks like I had a plan. I had no plan, and uh, but I kept doing the next thing that made sense. I kept just pulling the thread, right? And I think some people, you know, would would not. I mean, and I, there's no positive or negative here. It's just you got to think about your personality as well, because I. I know some people who who just wouldn't perform well in a startup environment where you're not sure if the company's going to be in business in the next 12 months. You know, you know, I always argued with the entrepreneurship people that you know your program should be in the psychology school, not the business school, because it's more of a psychology initiative than a psychological ask, you know, determination of success versus a business fundamental determination of success because you know, if you really want stability, you want structure, you want to be able to just very programmatically kind of move through your career in a in a stable place, relatively stable place where you're, frankly, where your paycheck's not at risk, then you should go work for a large company. And those, those are fine careers. And those are, those are um, roles that the world needs, right? But if you're willing to, you know, to, you know, to be able to manage that risk such that it doesn't, you know, overly stress you, such that you can't really, you know, work effectively, then, you know, I'm a big fan of going to the unstructured side of the equation to try and, you know, try and build new things. And, um, but it's a very, it's a very, um, you know, high risk kind of variable, volatile world, right? And so if, if that volatility is going to be too much stress, then you shouldn't do it. And, um, um, and I'm not saying one's good or one's bad. I'm just it, it is the rea- it is the reality of either environment. And um, so, um, as you think about pivots, I know a lot of large company people get a little frustrated with sometimes the politics of large companies. And say, boy, I wish I'm going to go work for a startup. And then that's a whole nother you know that's, that's a kind of the be careful what you ask for kind of situation because that's a whole nother set of stresses that you may not be prepared to you know to to deal with. Um, so, I mean, we can have a much longer conversation on what kind of criteria you should look for if you're going to go to a startup, but that's for another time. So, And we, you know, we touched on before the show, your partnership with 1809 Capital, which works, you know, with specifically uh, mostly with Miami University. Can you share kind of some exciting stories and students sure. that you've been working with there? You know, I'll be honest. I'm in my mid-60s now, you know, so you think about, I love what I do and, and, the, and kind of the positive of being in the, venture world is you can do it for your entire life right and um because i i'm fortunate that i've had a little bit of success i have some flexibility and um 18 or 9 capital is to me is like the culmination of, of of all my experiences that i get to now leverage and with the emotional benefit of of supporting a school that i feel very strongly about right and um uh, it meant a lot to me, and and um, actually, my oldest son went to Miami as well, and um, you know that was that turned out to be a great experience for him. Um, and um, so, eighteen or nine, capital, just on its fundamentally, is a venture fund. It's a classically structured venture fund. I think you did a good job describing it well, in which we have limited partners that you know that invest in the fund. We have general partners. I'm one of four general partners that that then execute the investing strategy of the fund. And, um, and uh, you know, we invest in, 
in early stage technology companies, hoping to achieve a, a, a very, you know, very nice return, right? And in the venture world, you know, the, you know, since you're taking so much risk, you're targeting about a 20 to 25% IRR, you know, internal rate of return, you know, which is the kind of, you know, that's a risk adjusted return that you hope to achieve. And how you best achieve that is through building a portfolio that's, you know, that, you know, that would, because within a portfolio of 15 companies, some are going to fail, some are going to be really successful, and some are just going to be an average outcome. But in total, that's what you're hoping to do. In 1809, you know, this was a collaboration that sort of built through conversations with, uh, first of all, with the um, the gentleman who is the chair of the entrepreneurship program at Miami, which which is called the Altman Institute. Um, and an alum who was a chair of the Business Advisory Council at Miami, who was a was a very successful executive. It's, his name's Jim Ryan. He's he's the he retired a couple of years ago as chairman and CEO of W. W. Granger in Chicago. So that's a ten billion dollar company. He you know that's he you know that's a big that's a big job. He had a big responsibility. He was highly successful. Interestingly, uh, Jim and I graduated from Miami the same year. But we didn't know each other, and until this until this moment, um, you know, you can imagine, you know, he he went to work for Granger, and forty years later, retired as chairman CEO. That's very different than what I just described about my career, right? So, um, so he's an established person. I'm a, I'm a venture person, right? So now you got two different types of people. Um, but we came together, you know, this idea of a venture fund affiliated with Miami's entrepreneurship program. At first, I was against it. Because I didn't think it was sustainable. Because the only thing that makes it sustainable is if it's profitable. Um, and initially, they were going to invest in student startups, and and you know that's a good thing. That's helpful to the school. It's helpful to the students, but it's not profitable because students are going to fail, right? I mean, that's how you learn. And so that's not a negative. It's just is what's going to happen. So as an investor, you're not going to make money in that scenario. So it's more of a grant program than it is a you know for profit program. So. We kind of iterated on that. Uh, I got connected to Jim. You know, he really was supportive of doing it. He was very, you know, very supportive of, of the entrepreneurship program. And um, we looked at a lot of models. We found ones that work. We spent about a year educating the university about why this was a good thing. Because fundamental, if the university wasn't going to be collaborative with us, um, we didn't want to do it, right? You know, because a lot of times, you know, these kind of alumni programs are at odds with the development office you know, because you're you're asking alumni for money and um, you know th those can be contradictory so in our case we 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 came up with a framework and a structure and a strategy that convinced them that this was complementary to what they were doing and so today um, so the school got behind it um, you know they're not an investor they're not you know they don't endorse it but we are collaborating and fundamentally what we do is we take you know all of our limited partners our Miami University alums, alumni, um, we get access to high quality investment opportunities by leveraging the Miami alumni network. And so in, in a, at its core, there's about two dozen, about 20 to 30 venture funds in the country that have Miami alumni in, you know, in their management teams that are general partners of those funds. I knew some of them, you know, the rest of us know some of them. And, um, you know, so we go out to them explain the strategy of the fund and and they give us access to their portfolio. So we get, you know, so we, we get access to deals that are pre-screened, pre-vetted 
by these other you know successful venture funds. And we become what's called a syndicate investor. We get to co-invest in their portfolio. So we're, we're cheating a little bit, right? Because we're getting access to higher quality deals and, and, and leveraging the Miami network for the diligence they've already done. Um, and so then on the backside, so, so as a limited partner, this is a really, really nice platform to get access to high quality venture transactions that you might not otherwise get access to. And, um, and then um, what's, you know, so, and you get your return. There's no obligation to Miami. It's a, it's a financial, you know, for-profit fund. However, what you didn't explain that the, the people that run venture funds, the general partners, one of the ways they get paid is one through management fee, but also through what's called carried interest. So if the fund is profitable, we get a percentage of that profit, which is called carried interest. In a standard venture fund, once you've returned invested capital to your limited partners, you share 80-20 in the profit. The 20% being the carried interest. Well, in our case, so that can be that can be really beneficial to a general partner if they're successful. But in our case, the majority of that carried interest is being donated to the Miami University Foundation. That enables us, you know, for me personally, that's a really, you know, enables me to use all my skill sets, all my experiences. I get to go build this Miami network that's incremental to the network that Miami was engaging with because they, they weren't engaging in this venture world very well at all. We're, we're bringing new people to, you know, that had graduated from Miami, you know, years ago and now bringing them back to the university. That's been really exciting. Um, I get to go meet new people. That's very fun for me. I mean, Jim Ryan would have never talked to me in any other circumstance. Um, but we also then benefit the university, you know, through through a financial contribution as well. We use Miami interns as our analysts in the fund. You know, we you know we support the academic mission. We provide subject matter experts in the classrooms, and I get to work with it. And and I put together we put together a team of general partners that have great experience in the venture world, but also complement each other because they have different experiences coming together. It's a really high quality team. So think about everything I've said. It's all kind of, it's all being rolled into 1809, you know, which is, you know, obviously a very a little selfish in that it's just benefiting my alma mater. Um, but it's but it's it's really been a great experience so far. And we're just early. You know, we just launched at the beginning of 21. You know, we've we've made three investments. We're working on our fourth. Um, you know, we have every intent for this to be a long-term platform that will be a fund two and a fund three and a fund four as we go forward. So I feel very, I'm very thankful that I have an opportunity to kind of roll together all my experiences and, 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 and participate in this, in this initiative. Yeah, that's exciting. I'm excited to see what the future holds for, for 1809. Um, the last question I have is just, you know, for, um, People who are out of college, fresh out of college, and they're looking to get into the venture capital space, you know, what would be your suggestions on the first couple of yeah. moves? I used to say, um, go do dumb things for 20 years, and then you might have enough experience to be in, to, to, you know, to be in venture capital, because there's no real training for venture capital. But in today's world, that's not, not as true as it used to be, because everything is so analytics driven today. You know, it's all about data. And, and, and analytics in terms of how your decisions are made and you know how comp- you know how you evaluate companies is much more data driven today than it used to be so what I would suggest is that if, if you're if you really want to do explore you know being you know in the venture capital industry I still believe one of the best things you can do is go get experience in startup companies 
first and foremost. You know, um, you, you need to, it, it's invaluable to have that operating experience, you know, from that side of the table of what, what it's like to try and build a company that let's think about, you know, when you think about it, logically, it doesn't make any sense, right? Because you're, you're trying to grow as fast as you can. You're frankly losing money on purpose because you're trying to put everything into growth which is why you have to go out and raise money from, from venture capitalists because you're trying to fund this growth, which in the early stages of a company means that you're not going to be profitable, right? Because you're, you're putting so much money into growth, you're not worried about bringing money to the bottom line. Well, you're worried about it because the fundamentals apply, but you're, but you're doing it on purpose, right? So I guess, I guess in that sense, it's stressful in and of itself, right? So, um, but it's very valuable to go get that experience. And you also get kind of a cross-discipline experience when you go to a startup because you're a small team, you know, you're 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 getting firsthand, you know, exposure to, you know, to engineering, to product product design, you know, development, to to marketing, to sales, to finance. It's all there in one place and you're experiencing all of that. Right. And um so then when you go to if you do then move to the VC side as a you know as an as an analyst associate and maybe a partner, you know that's very valuable experience to have had. If you if you step back to college, I, I you know I'm gonna I don't know if this is controversial or not. I am not a fan, and well this is probably gonna offend you. I, I'm not a fan of undergraduate business degrees. I think you know and, and again this is coming from my you know small myopic view of the world. I think it's far more, you know, I get a little frustrated, you know, when I, you know, with, with, you know, my friends, you know, you know, parents and their, you know, their kids are going to college and they're so excited about getting pre-admitted, you know, into the farmer school of business at Miami or pre-admitted into whatever business school, whatever college they're interested in, because it's so hard to get into those business schools because there's such demand for them. I'm like, I'm like, don't play that game. You know, you'd be far better. I think you get a far better education if you go into arts and science, if you go into, in, into you know applied science you know mathematics engineering digital design econ you know political science psychology I mean those are skills and, and perspectives that are broader and um, and give you kind of the the foundation that I think is is better prepares you you know for a you know for a world I, I would say better prepares you for you know for large companies as well as for trying to work in a you know, in a, in, a, in a venture world where you're trying to bring new things to market. While you're doing that at school, you can always go take business classes, get your fundamental grounding in, you know, in, you know, in accounting so you understand what an income statement is. You know, maybe get take a finance class, take an entrepreneurship class, right? While, but your major would be, you know, engineering, digital design, you know, computer science, you know, political science, you know, um, chemistry, whatever it might be, because that gives you, Kind of fundamentals of how the world works. What are the you know what are the fundamentals of a product you know of a of a technology of a science that in the venture world you need to know. And frankly, if you go to work for an industrial company, you need to know those things too. Just being a finance major, you know, doesn't doesn't give you that training. Doesn't help you understand the chemistry of a product. Doesn't understand the engineering of a product. So, I probably it's a bit of a soapbox, but um, you know, but I my counsel. Is to think really hard if if you're a, if you're going into college, you know, is 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 business really what excites you, or is there a discipline that excites you more? You can get your business fundamental, you know, you can you can minor, and if you want to then go work in that in sales and marketing, you know, you can 
I know a lot of chemistry people who go work in sales and marketing at chemical companies because they have the, you know, the, the, the fundamental backing. So, so I think, you know, get a broad education, get, get a skill set. Now, Except that if, you, if you're going to go to become a CPA, then you got to study accounting. That's all there is to it, right? So that's fine. Um, but I would say get a skill set in some other in some fundamental discipline. Um, not everybody's going to be a wealth a wealth manager, well. <laughs> so um, you know, getting education in a fundamental skill set will help you get into venture more than being a finance major, will far more. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great advice, Mark. And thank you for taking the time to, to share your, your journey, your advice, and, you know, everything that you've been able to share with us today. So it's been greatly appreciated. So thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to, to be here with you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And if you found this helpful, please consider leaving a rating and a review as that helps others find the podcast.